A Bucks County man is arrested in central Pennsylvania, 100 miles from the scene of a gruesome crime. And Governor Josh Shapiro is previewing his plans to boost Pennsylvania's economic fortunes. Welcome to The Morning Agenda, WITF's daily news podcast, where the only agenda is you. A good morning to you. It is Wednesday, January 31st, and this is being recorded at 9.13 a.m. I'm your host, Tim Lambert, as we take this daily trip around the region's top stories together. A Bucks County man who allegedly beheaded his 68-year-old father has been arrested in the mid-state. 32-year-old Justin Moan was taken into custody at Fort Indian Town Gap in Lebanon County last night. The body of his father, Michael, was found by his mother in their home in Levittown, Bucks County. Moan faces several charges, including first-degree murder and abuse of a corpse. The Daily Mail reports hours before his arrest, Moan held up what he claimed was his father's head during a politically charged rant on his YouTube channel. That video was removed after almost about six hours. Governor Josh Shapiro has unveiled a sweeping economic development plan in a visit to the Lehigh Valley. Ryan Gaylor is with our friends at WLVR in Bethlehem and has the details. Shapiro spoke from the Bethlehem Township facility of Orishore, a biotech company. It's the kind of Pennsylvania business his administration hopes to support with the new long-term plan, which calls for tens of millions of dollars of spending on more than a dozen economic development programs. Shapiro says the strategy will help the Commonwealth compete with neighboring states to attract business and to win. This is what winning looks like. It means being a leader in economic development, innovation, and job creation. It means taking advantage of our strengths and leaning in investing in industries where we have the potential to see explosive growth. The governor did not say how much the plan will cost, but adds he'll include funding for the project in his budget proposal next week. A federal judge is sentencing a York County man to one year of probation for his actions during the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. My colleague Scott Blanchard reports Cameron Campanella II pleaded guilty to two misdemeanors. The FBI says in court records that Campanella's cell phone data shows he was in the Capitol during the insurrection. When agents showed up at his York home in July 2022, he told them investigating the attack was a waste of time. He later admitted being in the Capitol for one minute, according to the York Daily Record, which cited his statement of offense. Shortly after leaving, he sent a text message that said, Stormed it. Campanella pleaded guilty to disorderly conduct in a Capitol building or grounds and parading, demonstrating, or picketing in a Capitol building. In addition to probation, he must pay $500 in restitution. Campanella's lawyer told the Daily Record that his client deeply regrets what he did that day and takes responsibility for it. At least 92 Pennsylvanians have been charged for their involvement in the Capitol attack to try to keep former President Donald Trump in power, even though he lost the 2020 election. That number is the third most in the country behind Florida and Texas. Philadelphia Flyers starting goaltender Carter Hart is one of four NHL players charged with sexual assault in connection with an investigation into an alleged sexual assault by several members of Canada's 2018 World Junior Team. Each player has been charged by police in London, Ontario. Now, last week, the Flyers said Hart requested and was granted a leave of absence for personal reasons. General Manager Danny Briere declined to provide details when asked follow-up questions related to the 25-year-old number one goaltender's departure. Hart's lawyers say their client is facing one count of sexual assault and add he's innocent. I 
I appreciate you joining us on the morning agenda today. And now is the time when I talk about a couple of stories I found after going through around a dozen news sites across central Pennsylvania this morning. Well, counties in the region are counting the number of people who are experiencing homelessness. The U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development requires the nationwide count on a single night every year. Our sister newsroom, LNP Lancaster Online, reports 69 volunteers fanned out over nearly half of the county's 954 square miles to assist tallying efforts. The volunteers were part of the Lancaster County Homelessness Coalition's annual point-in-time count required to receive federal funds to address homelessness. Lancaster County was awarded nearly $3 million in federal funding for 18 projects for fiscal year 2023. Those initiatives included things like providing housing assistance and or supportive services to people experiencing homelessness, as well as costs related to planning and data collection. No date has been set for when the number of this year's count would be available. Last year, volunteers counted 526 people experiencing homelessness in the county. And the spotlight returns to Gobbler's Knob in western Pennsylvania this week when Punxsutawney Phil's handlers will announce his verdict six more weeks of winter or an early spring. Thousands are expected to attend the annual event that exploded in popularity after the 1993 Bill Murray movie Groundhog Day. It's part of a tradition rooted in European agricultural life and marks the midpoint between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. Bill predicts more winter far more often than he predicts an early spring, by the way. And several who have looked at his record have concluded Phil's weather reports are worse than an even money bet. Now let's continue the deep dive we've been taking into a story that we have followed for the past year on and off. The one-year anniversary of the toxic train derailment near the Ohio-Pennsylvania border is Saturday. But in the days after the crash in East Palestine, Ohio, hundreds of people living in and around that community reported symptoms like headaches, coughs, and rashes. Julie Grant, with our partners, the Allegheny Front in Pittsburgh, has the story of one mother who left the community because her nine-year-old son became sick. Before the derailment, things weren't perfect in Juja Genesis' life, but they were going pretty well. My son was thriving in school, and previously he, you know, when, when COVID happened, that was hard because everything went online, but when schools went back into session, he was doing really great, and we were happy. But on the night of February 3rd, they were up late crafting in the living room of their downtown East Palestine apartment. It was past nine o'clock when they noticed flames out their front window. Jenna says they had no idea what was going on. She started texting with her neighbors, and that's how they found out there had been a train derailment about a half mile down the road. I wasn't really scared yet because I felt like if it was that serious, like there would be more urgency and more action or information. But there was like nothing. I was like, okay, well, it must not be that big of a deal. Like they've got it under control, obviously. Janice and her son walked outside into the dark, frigid night to check things out. And then we saw like these huge flames, like hundreds of feet tall. And I was like, like, this is bad. So they rushed back inside. Around three in the morning, I'm still awake trying to text people, asking the neighbors. Everyone's like, did you just hear that explosion? Because it was constantly exploding. There was these flames, like, like just, and they would go up and they would get it down. And then it would restart in these explosions, these booms. And everyone's just like freaking out. Like, what do we do? Like, what's going on? Then she heard a strange, loud noise coming from her son's room. She got up and rushed in. 
it's like walking into a bleach, like a closet where, you know, half it spilled on the floor and it's been locked up. Like it hits you like that. And he, my son is, you know, up in his bed, coughing, vomiting, like projectile vomiting, shaking. He's gasping for air, begging for water. She was terrified and could feel it in her body, too. You, you immediately get this film on your mouth and your, your tongue just breathing in there like you know there's something in there and your body's telling you it's like a huge warning sign and he's obviously sick and then you know I was like we gotta go so we we left immediately she grabbed a bag and they hopped in the car and drove 20 miles east to a hotel in Chippewa Pennsylvania over the weekend they spent time with his grandmother it was Monday when Ohio Governor Mike DeWine and other public officials held a live streamed press conference where they explained what was about to happen That afternoon, they planned to vent the chemical vinyl chloride from five of the rail cars and purposely burn it. Otherwise, they worried it could explode. Later that day, after the chemical burn had taken place in East Palestine, Janice was saying goodbye to her son's grandmother. I stepped outside to go back to the hotel, and it was literally like a black wall, like in the middle of her street. It looked like fog, but very, very dark. It was black. And I I turned around and went back in, and she's immune compromised, has health issues, too. Um, and I said, we have to go. Like, we all have to go. She says they rushed to get further away to Manaka, PA, where her son's father works. But that's also where Shell's ethane cracker plant is located. She worried that the pollution from East Palestine was mixing with emissions from Shell, and she didn't want her family to stay there. So they kept going. Yeah, so we left there and we went into Cranberry, Pennsylvania, which is where we've been since. Janice and her son are still living at a hotel further east in Cranberry, and he's been going to school online. And she tells me as we stand outside on a chilly October day that though he's hardly been back to East Palestine, he's had mysterious health issues since last February. It was like two or three months later, he started getting these splotches on his face, like only on his face. And they would they would show up and last for like maybe anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour and then they would go away. It's all been a lot for Jenna's herself to understand. So it's been really hard to figure out how to talk with her son about it. How is this shaping a child's viewpoint of what the world is and what it means to be good or what it what it means to find justice or, you know, safety even? Who can he trust? That's a tough one. Even many adults have been asking this question. Can they trust the government, the EPA, Norfolk Southern? Can they even trust their own doctors to help them? For the Allegheny Front... I'm Julie Grant. Support for this story comes from the Fund for Investigative Journalism. Now, the White House this morning says President Joe Biden plans to visit East Palestine, but no date has been given yet for the trip. So just be aware that The Morning Agenda is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts on WITF's YouTube channel and on the NPR One app. Be sure to check out our monthly Spotify playlist as well. This month wraps up today. It is called The Morning Agenda Song of the Day, January 2024. And my final pick for the month of January for my Song of the Day comes from Bruce Springsteen, The River. And if you grew up in western Pennsylvania during a certain vintage, let's say the 1980s, you you know what that song's all about, man. You just feel that in your bones. Well, that does it for The Morning Agenda, a daily news podcast from WITF, where the only agenda is you. I'm your host, Tim Lambert. Thank you again for listening today. Your company is always appreciated and never, ever taken for granted. So be well. Enjoy the rest of this Wednesday and the rest of this final day of January. And we'll talk again tomorrow in a brand new month.